Sunday morning in Las Vegas, just after 8 o'clock. I'm Brian Feldman. And it is time for Out of Line. We are here live, same time every Sunday at Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 FM and 1340 AM, flagship of the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, well, talk about that in a minute. We are coming to you today from what we will call Spencer's Studio in Las Vegas, located basically at the 95 in Jones Boulevard. For the past several months, we have been live at Kickers Gaming and Sports Bar just down the road from Cashman Center and the Neon Boneyard. But last week, we had some technical tickle. Oh, my God, I'm having trouble speaking. I'm hearing this echo, so that's what the problem is. But anyways, um, we uh, we've been we had some technical difficulties last week at Kickers, and... That is kind of the reason that we're here this week, but we'll get all that ironed out and everything. So, again, for at least this week, while the Wi-Fi is working, we will be here in Spencer Studio. And, again, that reason we're putting around is due to COVID-19 protocol. All live shows are still not allowed to be broadcast out of the Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp. Studio. Hopefully, uh, we'll be officially back to normal in the near future. Treating me on... The show is social media director Spencer the Wiz Ostrowski. Nobody beats the Wiz. Nobody beats the Wiz. The Wiz is the only social media director now in the country with his own theme music. Also part of the show, Angel Dig Backbox Presidential Bank Corp Studio, future WWE star Demon Cotton, aka Dino Demon. What's up, my brother? Glad to have you back in studio. I can't hear you right this second. But, uh, we appreciate always having you back there helping us out. Maybe eventually we'll all be back together under the same roof. The show's also streaming on the LV Sports Network, and you can watch the show on Facebook Live. The page is called Outline. That's O-U-T-T-A-L-I-N-E. You can also follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Adeline Fox LV. And since we are live, your calls and questions are welcome. The Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp. Studio line is 702-876-1340. Hi, this is Bubby, and it's time for What's on Tap. On Tap is brought to you by title sponsor, Residential Bank Corp. Whether purchasing a new home or refinancing the home you currently own, Residential Bank Corp has the company to turn to for all your home financing needs. Residential Bank Corp, funding America one neighborhood at a time, and now giving away $2,500 in closing costs for free as long as you qualify for to purchase a home in anywhere in Nevada actually and uh, they'll give you 2500 bucks to add to go towards closing costs. On tap, the Vegas Golden Knights are gone in Stanley Cup action and joining us shortly to talk about what happened, television analyst for the Vegas Golden Knights and the Henderson Silver Knights Mike McKinnon, man, I am struggling this morning I got to bed way too late last night. We'll talk about the NBA Conference Finals and the Las Vegas Aces' number one rival is in town today. Uh, I'll be there. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And the Aviators will be back in town for the 4th of July. They just lost two games up in Salt Lake, uh, but that was after a four-game winning streak, so we'll talk about that as well. Listen, that's on tap. If you're looking to buy a home or to refinance the home you currently own, choose a company you can trust, Residential Bank Corp, funding America one neighborhood at a time. And right now, Residential Bank Corp is offering Nevada home buyers $2,500 toward closing costs for anyone 
and everyone who qualifies for any home financing program in the state. Call 702-964-5720 for details. Hockey players, as you know, are warriors. They don't give up. They come to play every game. It's time for Nightcap, a cup full of the Vegas Golden Knights. From highlights to interviews to special events, the puck starts here. I feel like I just got kicked on the underside again hearing that uh, game-winning goal for the Montreal Canadiens without question the surprise of the Stanley Cup playoffs this year. Probably not a surprise to them or their or their form of Vesna winning goaltender Carey Price, but it was a surprise to the rest of the hockey world as most people felt that division comprised of the Canadian teams uh, was the weakest of all of them, and that's kind of why the winner of the Knights Colorado series got to play the winner of that series when initially it wasn't structured that way. And it looks like it wouldn't matter how it was structured. The Canadians are where they belong and where they should be some great young talent, some KG veterans. And again, right now, in my opinion, and I think in most the hottest goaltender in the national hockey league and Carey price. And, um, as talking to our guest now, who's joining us again for the, um, second time in three weeks, to try to break this down and make some sense of it. And just texting with Mike McKenna yesterday, he said, you know, it's hard to win. And uh, that a truer statement couldn't be told. Of course, it's hard to win and uh, really hard to win in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And especially when you're facing a goaltender that, um, to part an old cliche, is seeing beach balls, which is what it looks like uh, they're shooting at. Carey Price, the way he's stopping pretty much everything that's coming close to him. But then again, I don't know that the Golden Knights gave him in many games the most difficult challenges. Um, most cases, the Golden Knights were outshot. I mean, outplayed, outworked, outcoached. Mike McKenna, TV analyst for the Vegas Golden Knights, Henderson Silver Knights. We appreciate you joining the show again, my friend. And uh, I'll tell you, I'm scratching my head a little bit. Not that the Montreal Canadiens turned out to be so good and have been the Cinderella story of the 2021 Stanley Cup playoffs, but I'm scratching my head to find out where the Vegas Golden Knights' top five goal scorers went in the conference. Uh, the I should say, yeah, the conference finals. Well, it's... You know, they, they went by way of the rush. They went by way of the power play, and neither of which were able to generate against the Montreal Canadiens. Canadians were so good about stacking up at the blue line and not letting the Golden Knights enter into the zone with speed off the rush, which was the greatest strength of the team all season long. You know, they were able to find scoring in other ways once they possessed the puck down low. Uh, but really, at the core of the Vegas Golden Knights this season, they were a rush team. Uh, and one of the most effective in the league at it. And Montreal was able to stymie that. Very similar to how Dallas did last year uh, in the bubble. The big difference, though, like you said, Brian, is that last season in the bubble, the Golden Knights were still generating a ton of shots. They were putting 40 on net nightly. That didn't happen against the Canadians. The Canadians were able to stifle the Golden Knights to the point where they were only getting 20, 25 shots. They were very rarely over 30. 
And that's not the type of shot volume that the Golden Knights need to generate their goals. They need a lot of shots on net. They need players to the front. They're not a team that can pick and choose and wait and try to find the best option. Sometimes they've got to get it there. So among other things, yes, Carey Price was very good, but it was an entire defensive effort that Price was part of for the Montreal Canadiens that led to the outcome for the Golden Knights. Yeah, no question about it. One of the oldest cliches in sports, defense wins championships. And that's why the Montreal Canadiens are playing championship hockey right now because they are playing shut down defense, collapsing on the puck, controlling the puck in the neutral zone and dumping the puck puck in and taking shots and some very quality shots on goal. I'll give them all that. Of course, we're talking again with Mike McKenna, former NHL goalie, goaltender here in Vegas years ago, and uh, now the television analyst for the Vegas Golden Knights and the Henderson Silver Knights. Mike, again, appreciate you joining the show, but I got to ask you, you know, I talked about at the beginning how most experts called the Canadian division the weakest division in hockey. A lot of people, and I'm not going to say I'm included, I thought the Canadians would win one, maybe two games, but no question, I thought the Knights would end up victorious when it was all said and done in this series. How many people underestimated not just this division, but the Montreal Canadiens? A lot of people. I think it just plays into why predictions are so silly to make a lot of the times. I know that everybody wants them. What's your prediction? What are they going to do? I don't know. That's why we play the games to find out. I mean, going into the series, I try not to make these things too public because they always blow up in your predictions. But my heart... Like, my gut said five games Vegas, and my head said six games Vegas. When you looked on paper, when you looked at just the quality of schedule and coming off a series against the Avalanche, and bottom line is, if you're in the NHL, you're a good hockey team. And it's impossible when divisions don't play against one another to ever make a guess at how good or how bad a division is. And... It's not necessarily what somebody does during the entire course of the season. The Montreal Canadiens finished 18th in the league in terms of point percentage when you're looking up and down the entire, you know, the whole league. And this is a team that was playing desperate hockey that's come together. They've played and they have confidence. That's the thing. Like, they don't have any pressure on them to start with. The whole province of Quebec didn't believe in the team. And now they're rioting outside of the Centre Bell in Montreal. So it's uh, it's really hard to to quantify who's going to be best and who isn't when you don't have that inter that interplay between the two divisions. And I think what you're showing is the depth of the NHL and what can happen when a team like Montreal gets some pieces added to the puzzle. Cole Caulfield, young player out of college hockey, huge, huge shot in the arm to that team offensively. He's brought all the young kids along. And as you said, Brian, earlier, you factor in those relics that they've got on the fourth line. It's Stahl and Perry that still play, that still do their job. That's a pretty balanced club. And the Canadians are playing well, and they deserve credit for beating the Golden Knights. This is out of line. We are talking with Mike McKinnon, television analyst for the Vegas Golden Knights. And, Mike, you know, we we talked a little bit about what happened, and they didn't really do what they were doing. i got to ask you something because I'm getting pelted with this question by friends. Was the flurry gaffe the turning point in this series? And to parlay off that question, how much does that – tarnish his legacy 89 71 in career playoffs three stanley cup rings but 
the bottom line, he didn't get a chance really to redeem himself in that series. Game five was a complete debacle. He didn't look good, looked like his confidence was definitely affected by that gaffe and something that, you know, it's a small little brain fart that people make at times, even the best of the best as we just saw. But again, if Fleury never plays another game for the Vegas Golden Knights, and we'll talk about that in a minute, does this tarnish his career? I don't think so. Uh, it's one instance, and the team didn't score any goals to fix it. That's what it comes down to. Um, I do agree, though, that as much as I hate to admit it, because being a former goaltender, you want to see this not happen, but it did seem like a turning point in the series. The Golden Knights never seemed to recover that same confidence and swag that they had. Uh, even head coach Pete DeBoer alluded to that in his, uh, in his presser, that it seemed like after that moment, it just never came back together for the team. But in terms of, of Flurry's overall legacy, I mean, he still has chapters to write. And we don't know what's going to happen in the offseason. I, I mean, he wants to come back. I'm every All the fans want him back. I mean, I, I don't know. But he has a chance to keep writing his own story. And when you've already won so many cups like that, when you've had past failures that you came back from, and, you know, he, he had a similar thing happen in World Juniors years and years ago. Uh, before he was even in the NHL, he bounced back. He won three Stanley Cups. This is a mentally strong guy that can do it. Uh, you know, game five to me, Vegas scored one goal. Same thing. No matter how flurry looked, I mean, it would have taken a shutout from him to win that game. So um, this this series to me was not determined by goaltending. It wasn't determined by one play. But I do uh, I do agree that that singular moment really was kind of the turning point in the series. Well, if anyone out there is like me, I, I was in Costa Rica during that, and I didn't see it. <laughs> I saw it after the fact. Uh, this is what we. This is the goal we're we're alluding to. I would expect Price to maybe follow this one off the ice here if they get control. Lacing as Anderson got a piece of that. That was with a little over a minute to go in game three with the series knotted at 1-1. Of course, the game would go into overtime, and Montreal would win that game. And, you know, you talked about something, Mike, that is a statistic that uh, Spencer always beats me over the head for the statistics I come up with. But this one is a little bit well-known, and if it's not, you're going to be shocked out there. In every game of the postseason that Montreal has scored two or more goals, they have won. They are 11 and 0, which means all they've got to do is score two goals and they win. Uh, I think we're talking about Carey Price again. When all you need is two goals, that means your goaltender is lights out. Also means your special teams are really good. Penalty kill. Uh, you're not allowing you're not allowing the opposition to take the freebies. The Golden Knights, no power play goals. None. Okay. You look for something in a series that's going to be able to determine it, that you're looking for little edges. It's not easy to win. It's so hard to win. And you have to have special teams. They have to be good. Look at the teams that are left right now. They're doing very well on them, whether it's the PK or power play combined. Either way, they're getting it done. If you have to score more than, I mean, you got to score three on Carey Price on the Montreal Canadiens period if you're going to win hockey the way that they're defending. Simple as that. And I think that Price did play into the Golden Knights' heads. Yeah, I watched the pucks whiz past the side of the net. I see Price being on angle and arriving early and forcing the Golden Knights to try to be too perfect at times. 
Now, I don't think that that was completely endemic. I don't think they generated the right offense. They didn't get the power play looks they needed. Again, the rush was completely out the window. But when you have somebody in the net that you don't think that you can beat clean on a clean shot, you really start to overthink things, and it makes it tough. Uh, so, you know, for the Canadians, the, the the stat about them that really stood out to me was when they scored the first goal of the game, not just the goals against. You combine those two. When they scored the first goal of the game, I believe they ended up, they're, I think, 9-1, and one, I want to say. Um, I don't have the stat in front of me, but that's that's scary, you know? And that's what the Golden Knights didn't do well, another thing. They didn't start games on time. Their first periods were sluggish. Oftentimes, it took until the second for them to get going, and in, especially in the Montreal series, that was too late. Yeah, the, the, the Canadians are great when they, they play with the lead, and again, it's almost like that's their philosophy, Mike. Get the lead and sit on it, and no one likes to play protect the lead hockey and play not to lose, but when you can play that good a defense and you combine the speed with their defensive prowess, it made sense, and so far, at least to this point, it's worked for them. They might have to change the philosophy against a very, very stout Tampa Bay Lightning team, but we'll talk about that in a minute. And I don't want to pin this, and I'm not trying to pin in any way this on Flurry. He had one gaffe in, in the in the series, and yes, it was very costly, but we got to call out who you got to call out, Mike. And Mark Stone had seven shots on goal in the entire series. Non-defensemen scored five total goals in the series. Mike, that's a recipe for disaster. When you have the leading point getter of your team with seven shots and no points in a six-game series, there's no way you're going to look at that stat sheet and see them win. Uh, and players know it, too. I mean, Mark Stone was very forthcoming in his availability yesterday saying, hey, I got skunked. That can't happen. I'm the leader of this team, you know, uh, the captain. And he took it to heart, and that's the type of leader he is. And, and I know that everybody's going to be disappointed looking at the stat sheet. No, none more, more so than Mark Stone or Max Pacioretty or any of the top forwards that didn't produce. You take that so heavy, especially when you know that you had a team to compete this year not just compete to potentially win. Now, making it to the Final Four, it shows how good the club is. You, can't, you cannot let that go out the window, how difficult it is to even get to that stage. But to get over the hump, to get to the next level, you do need everybody. And I think really it just started with the power play. It wasn't there. It didn't score. And that's that's the root of your game. You feel good about yourself when the, comp, when the power play's out there snapping it around making it look like the Globetrotters, going back door, scoring goals. You know, it like that permeates through the locker room. It permeates through your five-on-five play. And again, I think that for especially like Stone's line constantly got the top matchup. It's a credit to Philip Deneau and the line for, of his for the Montreal Canadiens, um, Gallagher with them as well, uh, Lekkonen on the other side who had the series clinching goal in OT. That line was excellent against Stone and Pacioretty and Stevenson when he was in later in the series. They were able to control them. They played on top of them. Uh, and, and I do think that a factor of it was, one, the Canadian system, but two, man, just not having the feel. And when that happens, when the power play goes sideways, again, it just it comes down and it feels like you've got that weight on your shoulders. I bet if Mark Stone would have scored in game five or six, he probably would have rattled off three more, you know, <laughs> and not just him, other players in the lineup up front as well. No, I, I'm not going to disagree with you, but again, Why? Mark Stone in game six, and I, I was particularly watching him 
every chance I got when the camera was on him to see what he was doing. There were times, Mike, and again, it looked like he was skating in wet cement. He just, he didn't, even on his face, his facial expression showed frustration. How do you, can't you just shake that off at some point and just start playing hockey? And again, I'm no one to criticize. I'm just one of many members of the media. But watching the game, it looked like at times, I don't, I don't want to ever say the guy didn't care. I know he cares tremendously, and I really respect the way he came to the forefront after the game and, and took all the accountability. But again, I still don't know why. I mean, I was saying, is the guy hurt? Is he secretly hurt? Is there something wrong with him? He just didn't look like Mark Stone, and it wasn't in one game. It was throughout an entire series. Usually you might have a batter game or two if you're a superstar, but you don't have six in a row. Yeah, it was surprising for sure. I mean, I think like really it was endemic of it on, I'm trying to think of which game, maybe it was game five that Nick Holden and Mark Stone, uh, maybe game four, I guess, actually. One of the two. Can't remember. There was a back check involved that they just didn't skate. And I looked at it and I thought, Holden and Stone? What happened? Like these are two guys that always do that. Um, So you never know what's going on behind the scenes. Mark Stone said he was 100% healthy. it's just you get in these funks and this is the worst time it can happen in playoffs because it's so magnified um and i don't have answers for it either i wish i could because you know that the when you're that close to the prize you can just taste it and sometimes maybe maybe you make things harder on yourself because of that own pressure i don't think montreal had much pressure on them at all you know they're the underdogs they're playing free it's hard to win when you're expected to it puts added pressure on you uh, I've been on both sides of that coin. I've been on a favorited team. I've been on an underdog team. I can tell you the team that was better on was the underdog team. It was easier to perform in that type of situation. Yeah, I guess the less expectations. I you know, I think like everyone else surprised, no way do you want to give up on Mark Stone, Max Pacioretty. But again, it is a little bit of a moniker that this is a pattern in their careers to this point. And well, I think yeah, and I, gonna... I think that line too, especially because, you know, you're missing Stevenson for the first half of the series. True. They didn't really get back in sync. You know, he comes back at the end. You know, Pete DeBoer basically said, whatever percentage Stevenson we're getting is better than the 0% not on the ice. Um, they were searching to find a centerman between them as well. So there's more to it than just one player. I mean, they need that magic combination. And Stevenson really was the one driving that for them. Um, so I, I think that's part of it too. But yeah, rising at the right time again, you find ways to find the score sheet when you're really playing with confidence. I agree, and even Jonathan Marks, though he had he had been one of the best players on the Vegas Golden Knights up until the Canadian series, and that whole second line, other than Riley Smith, who I thought played really well, and I don't want to take anything away from Carlson, he might not have found the score sheet in the final series, but he played two ways very well. Many times he got a stick in there to disrupt. Montreal's offense and so I won't take it away from these guys I just again I think everyone's searching for answers we'll move forward real quickly a little bit on that and one of the things that really shined as you mentioned the youth combined with the veteran leadership of this Canadian team if you weren't a Golden Knights fan and just a fan of hockey 
you really enjoyed seeing them all mesh at the right time, especially that young, talented Cole, Cole Cofield. I mean, are you kidding me? This guy comes out of college, basically, and just starts lighting it up. And then it has Moxie, where, you know, Renner made the comment about how he has a tendency to go through it to go five hole. And then Cole Caulfield puts it up over his shoulder and does the shh as he goes along the bench, which I thought was great. And how about Nick Suzuki? I mean, we all knew he was a special player, but boy, is his stock risen in this Stanley Cup postseason in his second year in the league. They've got good talent on the Canadians, and they've done a good job of building it. And, you know, you get somebody like Caulfield who they were cautious about coming out of college. They put him in the American Hockey League while he ripped it up for four games, five games. <laughs> and then he comes out, gets his couple games in the NHL, give him the taste. Well, then he's a healthy scratch for a bit. And they kind of got their backs against the wall and they went, all right, we're throwing the kids in. Here we go. Kakaniami, yep, you're in. Caulfield, you're back in. Let's go here. And the top line that they had together with Toffoli, Suzuki, and Caulfield. Now, I don't think they controlled play five on five as much domination-wise in terms of possession. But, man, when that line got on the rush and went the other direction, they were dangerous, and they could finish. To me, that's the difference. This Caulfield kid, he's done nothing but score goals everywhere he's been, whether it's from playing at the program, the U.S. development program, to going to Wisconsin, to pro, everywhere he's been, this kid scores. Uh, I think he went 15th overall. He had teams sleeping on him left and right in the draft because of his size or whatever else, and skill matters. This kid is a this kid can play the game. And you know, I think it, it and I want to put this in perspective with the Golden Knights fans here too. There's good young players coming along for the Golden Knights. Okay. Peyton Krebs is somebody that you can look at with the expectation of this kid's gonna be a game changer. Okay. To me, if he hadn't broken his jaw, he would have probably had a very good chance of playing significant minute minutes in playoffs, in my eyes, with his skill level and the potential for helping on power play and things. So um, that's coming along, and it's part of being a young franchise. I know the Golden Knights had to make trades when you're, you know, you're bringing in a patch ready and, and a young asset, but you you have these players filtering in now, and you will see them from the Vegas side soon. That give you that energy, the youth of the team, and that's what the Canadians are riding. Yeah, watch a Henderson uh, Silver Knights game. You'll see some great talent they have coming mm -hmm. up. You mentioned young talent, and one name you didn't mention. A guy that went in front of Nick Suzuki, excuse me, Nick Suzuki in that 2017 draft. The number one player picked in the draft, Cody Glass. He saw one game in the Stanley Cup playoffs this year, and Pete DeBoer saw enough, and he never saw the ice again. What is the future for Cody Glass? Because to me, I don't want to say I've seen a regression. I just haven't seen growth. Well, his power play game is what everybody expected to be strong and was, and you're looking for the five-on-five -five growth. you know. And when, when Cody Glass went down to the Henderson Silver Knights, the reason for that is because you want to see him dominate. You want to see him go down and get his confidence back that he can make plays, that he's not just you know trying to get out and do things outside of his normal realm. Like This is a guy who needs to make – he has to have the puck on his stick. He has to distribute pucks. He's got to skate. He's got to play with some moxie. Uh, and he went down to Henderson and he was okay. But he never did, didn't seem to have that gravitas to him that, hey, I, I'm in this league for a reason and I'm going to crush this. You know, the, the body language wasn't always there. You'd miss pucks. And, and it's surprising for a kid that has all this talent and he's still a coveted asset. This is a first round pick with mega, mega skill. 
that can do it. We've seen flashes of it in the NHL. You just need that consistency. And, you know, we forget that how quickly people try to rush players to the NHL. If you don't make it by 21, you're a bust nowadays, it feels like. You know, especially for a first-round pick. And, like, this is a kid with a ton of skill who missed almost, you know, he missed a ton of time with a major knee and leg injury that he had to rehab from. And he put a ton of bo- he put a ton of weight on his body and muscle. And he's, frankly, he's still growing into that and learning how to utilize it. So um, even though he's a first-round pick, even though he's a very early pick, there's still runway. And without question, this is a big summer for him. He's got to come in and show the team that, hey, I deserve one of those centerman jobs, and I'm going to come in, I'm going to grab it, and I'm going to play with some confidence. No, I would agree. He's going to have to really step up this year. I saw a couple of games and play with the Silver Knights, and what I saw was frustration. I saw one game, Mike, they were down by a goal, and he took a bad penalty in the third mm-hmm. period that led to another goal, and those kind of things can't happen. You can't let frustration get the best of you in the National Hockey League. you got to keep playing, and you definitely can't take late bad penalties. Luckily, that happened uh, you know, for the Silver Knights and not in the Golden Knights because that would have been really bad on him, but I think the jury's still out. I just wonder if there's somebody that, that they might give up on and look for trade bait. And again, real quickly, two more questions. One about the future of the Knights, and then I want to talk about the upcoming series real quickly between Tampa Bay and Montreal. But the future of the Vegas Golden Knights. You mentioned Mark andre Fleury. He wanted to stay here last year. He did, and it turned out to be the best decision he ever made and a great decision by the Golden Knights not to give up on him because statistically he had the best year of his career. However, he will be 37 next year's next. God, it's a 37 sounds so old when you talk about it. And it's so young, actually. But he'll be <laughs> You're making me feel old. old. I'm 38. <laughs> yeah, b- believe me it, now crossing the, the half century mark. I say 37 is old. And I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? I quit but, at 36, man. I was done. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. But the point is, he has all this credibility again after this season. He has value. Do you really not want to use that value to go out and find a great blue line scorer, which I believe is something they need desperately? One more. Or do you keep Mark andre Fleury and let him and Leonard battle another year and not really hand the reins over to Leonard? After the one game Leonard played against Colorado, I would have said, thank God we had Fleury. But Leonard just hadn't played, and he was a little bit rusty. We saw in a crucial Game 4 in Montreal, Leonard come through and play brilliantly, and I thought he played really well in Game 6. There's no way you pin that loss on him in any way, shape, or form. But you don't use Marc-Andre Fleury right now and take this tradeability that he still has, especially now after this year, and utilize that? I just don't know where the team's going to be in their headspace of the salary cap more than anything. You know, I, I mean, you would love to have Fleury and Leonard as your goalie tandem going forward forever, I think. I mean, if you have that, like, that's a big reason why the team's there. Uh, and it was a strength. Um, the schedule will be different next year. Heard Pete DeBoer talk about that. Hey, it's, it won't be as condensed, but you still need two goaltenders in today's NHL, period, to me. And, and I think that any goal, any team will look around the league and go, wow, like, we wish we had that. Just maybe not at the salary cap total. That's what you have to look at going forward. Um, but Mark Andre doesn't want to leave. Leonard doesn't want to, They want to be here. They were great teammates. They pushed each other. Uh, and, and I think even with the Canadians, look what they have tied up in goaltending. You know, you got Jake Allen's making a good amount of money. And Carey Price, like, they're at 13, 14 million bucks. Like, the teams that are left in the Final Four all spent money on goaltending. Period. 
so wherever you're looking, if you need something, if you need to move something, I'm sure that they're going to look at every option. Uh, but man, I'd be I'd be hesitant to move goaltenders. I really would, especially like Fleury's deal has one year left on it. Um, if you can move some pieces around without having to to lose your greatest strength during the season of having two goalies that can play that push each other, uh, man, I'd be hesitant. I would not want to have to make that decision. Uh, I'd probably look at other things first, but that's also the reason why I'm in I'm a retired goaltender and not in management and I just talk about things because you know every time I predict try to predict something whether it's scores or whether it's who's a team going to get to fix it we're never right we just never know but I'm telling you that to me those two goaltenders if I could run a team and have them and start from that basis of okay 12 million on goalies I would take that Um, but that's my opinion on it and I don't know we don't know what it's going to look like but it would take an awful lot I think to be able to convince Mark Andre that Vegas is no longer the place for him no, fair enough. And I will say, and I've said it many times, out of all the people I've been blessed to meet in this profession, Mark andre Fleury is one of my favorite people that I've ever met. And I never thought I'd say that, being a huge Detroit Red Wing fan and what he did to us back in, I think it was 06. <laughs> I hate him for it. But when I met him personally, he is truly one of the most humble superstars you're ever going to meet. Just a great guy. That being said, my prediction is Fleury's gone this year. And again, I just think that you use that stock right now to build this team. And I know how bad Bill Foley wants to win. A couple of other names, and we'll move on from this, that I think are really good trade bait right now. I hate doing any of this, but realistically, Jonathan Marcheseau, he definitely upped his stock this year in the playoffs. Spencer has wanted Marcheseau gone since I've been doing this show. I love the guy. But I think right now might be the time to maximize value on him and another guy who Pete DeBoer obviously wasn't very enamored with at the end. Not that he doesn't like Ryan Reeves, but he didn't see the value in putting that physicality in the last couple of games. He felt that Kolasar, I think, gave them a better chance to put points on the board with that fourth line, a better stick handler. Uh, you know, a better scorer. And, of course, Carrier, we know, can put the puck in the net. And Nostick is a, is a good centerman and fits that line. It kind of leaves Reeves as the odd man out. Those are a couple of guys that I think won't be Vegas Golden Knights next year. Just my prediction. I'm not going to put you on the spot with that, but what do you think of my prediction with those guys? Uh, I don't want to write the autopsy on anybody being a Golden Knight. <laughs> you know, I, and I truly mean this, like trying to to speculate on, on trades. Trades are hard to make in the NHL right now. They really are. But with Seattle coming in, it will open the market up a little bit. Um, GM Kelly McCrimmon talked about yesterday how they've – Ron Francis, the GM in Seattle, has got – he's got a big hammer to swing right now that he can control the market to a certain extent. And uh, – I would Jonathan Marshall's whole had a fantastic career. I wouldn't want to move him. I wouldn't want to move Ryan Reeves. Those are core pieces of the puzzle for the team. Um, even if Ryan Reeves may not have been in the lineup, to me, he's he's somebody that not just five on five and or not just in the regular season. He just brings value to the entire locker room, to this community. What he does, uh, I'm not sure where that's going to be. I mean, I again, this is a close team. They all want to come back. These are the hard decisions you face, but. For Marcia, so I, I thought his game this year took a step in the right direction in terms of his responsibility, not just to score goals. He had a great year offensively. I mean, 44 points in 55 games, nothing to sneeze at. But defensively, he really took strides. He wasn't throwing pucks away like he was last year. He minimized those bad turnovers. He's a player who really benefited from 
being teammates with Mark Stone, frankly. He said, I modeled my defensive game after Mark Stone. Sticks and lanes where I needed to get my feet to. I think you saw it reflected in, you know, it's plus minus, but even those advanced analytics that we can't look at very easily, Jonathan Marshall still was very good on both sides of the puck. So, you know, whoever, I don't even know if there's going to be a trade. I, that's what we always look at. Oh, trade, trade, trade. Well, it's hard to trade people. And sometimes your asset an asset like Jonathan Marshall, so with his production and what he means to the city and the team, uh, can overvalue any fantasy hockey that we'll be doing when you can just click a button and they're out the window. Well, you know, if uh, anything happens with your television analyst, which I think you did a great job, I'm going to tell Marshall so he needs to get rid of his agent and hire you. You did a great job lobbying for him. I well, love the guy you know, as we're well. Old we're old teammates, and I love the guy, but I, I, I but I truly believe that. I think that Marshy's. I think he's a huge core piece of this team. One, those you start messing like those original misfits. There's value there, and I tell no, you I what, agree nobody, with can, you. nobody can drive the Lambo like Marshy. I agree with you. I'm just looking at maximizing value right now to make moves, and I know that's what Bill Foley wants to do. Bill Foley, I'm sure, would tell you he's pleased with getting to uh, three conference finals. Sem- you know, the semifinals of the Stanley Cup. All four years making the playoffs, one Stanley Cup finals run, but I know he wants to win and he's going to, I just know, I just can't imagine some moves not that won't shock all of us being made in the offseason this year. And those are three flurry Marshall Reeves that I don't think will be nice this year. And again, you're right, predictions. They're like they're like your back ends. Everyone has one, you know. So well, we I mean, live in Vegas, I, right? And there's sports books everywhere, so we can't help ourselves in trying to right. think and gamble. And, yeah. <laughs> but l- lastly, I want to talk about the series coming up real quickly with uh, the Canadians and Tampa Bay. I know when I first said if Canadians somehow find a way to win the series against the Knights, it's going to be a horrible Stanley Cup Finals. I'm not thinking along those lines anymore. This Canadian team absolutely believes the glass slipper is still on if you want to call it a glass slipper, and you kind of have to based on the record and point total of the season compared to the other teams that made the postseason. I mean, they lost like 15 more games than the Vegas Golden Knights, so you got to call them a Cinderella story. But the Cinderella story is very much alive, and there's all kinds of great matchups, and you know you can you could sing the praises of Nikita Kucherov forever. Guy doesn't play the whole season as the leading point scorer in the postseason. Truly amazing. Steven Stamkos and him put together one of the best lines in hockey, and the re- part of the reason Tampa Bay is the reigning Stanley Cup ch- champions right now, and we'll be looking to repeat this year. It's still the goaltender matchup that everyone's going to talk about, and you've got. Carey Price, again, both these guys are former Vesna Trophy winners. And uh, right now, arguably the last couple of years, Vasilevsky, the best goaltender in the National Hockey League. What a phenomenal matchup we have, especially when you talk about the two guys between the pipes. It's another goalie dream. We said that last series between, you know, Fleury and Price. We're all looking at this going, wow, you know, potentially two of Canada's Olympic goaltenders going head to head. And so excited in the goalie world you know like we have our own subset of people we're our own genre if you will goalies and we are so excited for that matchup and this is the same way you've got Vasilevsky who's the reigning Vezina or not reigning he won a couple of years ago I apologize but reigning Stanley Cup champion um you know one without question one of the forerunners and maybe the top goalie in the league but Carey Price the way he's playing I was talking to a friend of mine that's a really respected goalie coach and he said, Carey Price is the most positionally sound goalie to ever play the game. And, and I don't like to make big pro- proclamations, but he's right. 
the way that Price rotates and his whole body comes, like he's very, he's just never reaching or lunging because he's always in position. His skating is so strong. He's so deceptively explosive that you can't tell how fast he's moving because the whole body's going. He's just so disciplined in what he does. And it's it's going to be really exciting to watch both goaltenders. Both of them are capable of stealing a series. And that's always the X factor is with these two teams that can both score when necessary. Tampa almost at will at times. Braden Point got nine goals in a, nine games, nine goals in a row. Uh, but Montreal's been able to counterpunch and score when necessary. Again, those young kids are coming through. And the overtime wins for Montreal, that plays a huge role. They are confident in pressure situations. How do they bring that to the Lightning? You know, it's it's a great dynamic. You've got two teams that are playing well. Um, I can't wait to watch it. And and the craziest part, when I played for the Lightning, we used to get so many Montreal fans in the building. So <laughs> all the snowbirds from Canada coming down to Florida. So uh, I think there'll be a lot of that. There'll be a lot of interplay between the fan bases as well. You know, I think it plays a factor. It's really a shame that Montreal won't let their building get filled up. I think that that does favor Tampa Bay. It's such a different environment. I mean, out, obviously outside the stadium in Montreal, it is complete chaos. But inside, it's limited. And I feel bad you know because what, though, I don't think Brian? it's a... You know what, though? The Canadians got a big jump when they came to T-Mobile, it felt like, playing in front of fans again. Yeah. I think I it went think both directions. Have, but, but Montreal, when that place is filled, Mike, it's oh, insane there. That's and I really think, like I said, I think it's a disadvantage that they don't get that opportunity. I'm going to say Tampa in six. You don't have to make a prediction if you want. Just tell me what it's going to take real quickly, sum it up in a minute, what it would take for Montreal to win this series and what it would take for Tampa to win this series. Well, Montreal has to stay. First, they have to stay out of the box. They cannot take penalties. You cannot let the power play of Tampa Bay, who's been clicking it between 30 and 40%. You can't let it go. And Kucherov took a beating in the Islanders series. He's going to be effective on the power play, but five on five, maybe not as much. So keep them out of the box. And the same thing as they did against the Golden Knights. Control the neutral zone. Pack the middle of the ice. Make life as easy on Carey Price as you can. Do not let passes go through the seams. If they keep everything to the outside and Price can see the puck, even if it's Steven Stamkos hitting one-timers, Price is going to stop most of those because his skating ability is so strong he can get there early. Um, so I think it's a lot of the same for the Canadians. You rely on your defensive strength. Let Jeff Petrie move the puck up. Let Shea Weber take care of the front of the net. Edmondson Chariot, these big D that really crush down low. They're going to have to have that against the Tampa Bay Lightning. And for the Lightning, I think it's just a matter of them playing as fast as they can and trying to possess the puck and control it and drive the middle of the net, drive to the front, make Montreal take penalties, make Montreal chase them, and make Montreal's defensemen wear out. They pretty much ran four defensemen the whole series against the Golden Knights. The bottom two were in limited capacity. I think that if Tampa can control the puck and skate as hard as they can, they're going to wear out Montreal by the end of the series. I think that's the factor that uh, when you look at the energy levels and what's been expended so far, I think Tampa has a little more in the tank, and I think Tampa's ultimate skill level is higher than Montreal. But, man, you can't count out an underdog, and especially a team that plays as good a defense and as a goaltender like Montreal does. Well said. My, my keys to the game for Tampa Bay, Nikita Kucherov's health. If yep. he stays healthy, he continues to play as many minutes as he does. They're going to be almost unbeatable because I don't think they can defend him as well as they did the Vegas Golden Knights. And for Montreal, it's the man between the pipes, man, Carey Price, one name. If that guy plays the way he's been playing throughout the playoffs and stands on his head as he is able to do, that is going to be an awful tough out. And uh, at the end of it, when it's all said and done, 
Montreal. Carey Price plays lights out hockey. They'll be they'll be holding up the Stanley Cup trophy, and uh, he'll be the Conn Smythe winner. That's my prediction. Uh, he is Mike McKenna, television analyst for the Vegas Golden Knights, Henderson Silver Knights, former NHL goalie. Love you joining the show, Mike. We'll have you on again. Sounds good. And uh, I know Golden Knights fans, I'm just as, dis- just as disappointed, but I just have to remind you that this is a team that's played some unbelievable hockey. I don't need to remind you this, okay? Four years of really good success, it takes a while to win. Look at the first time the Tampa Bay Lightning went to the Cup Finals before they won. Believe in your team. The team's good. They're still good. And there's a lot of, there's light at the end of the tunnel. There's good stuff to come. I can feel it. So, Mike, I'll parlay off that and I'll say this. It has been to this point and will always be, in my opinion, in our lifetime, the best sports story of my lifetime and maybe one of the greatest in history to be an expansion team, make the playoffs four straight years, and in your very first year, make it to the championship series. I've never seen anything like it. I feel very blessed and privileged to have had the opportunity to cover them to this point, and I look forward to their future as well. I'm right there with you, brother. I appreciate it. So we'll talk again soon, Brian. Thank you. Absolutely. Again, Mike McKenna. Uh, Go ahead, Spencer. Hit fact this. Fact this. If you don't like the facts, take your ass back to bed. Fact this. Of the four teams remaining in the NBA playoffs, only two have ever won the championship. The Atlanta Hawks won it all in 1958, and the Milwaukee Bucks were NBA champs in 1971. This is great for the NBA and is making for some of the most exciting and unpredictable playoff basketball we have been treated to in many, many years, Spencer. This is a lot of fun to watch. I have no idea for the first time when we are down to the Final Four who is going to win the NBA title because, believe it or not, Although I think Kawhi Leonard is done for the season, I think that ACL sprain is much worse than any of us know. But if he's not and he comes back, the Clippers are still in the running. Because in my opinion, when Kawhi Leonard is on the floor and decides to play basketball at the best of his ability, there is no better player in the NBA, and I'll include LeBron James right now. If I'm starting my team with one player, it's going to be Kawhi Leonard. I think he's the best the NBA has to offer, and he's proven it in the first two series by going down two games to love and coming back and winning the series in both cases. This series feels different. He hasn't played a minute in this series. They're now down three games to one after yesterday. It is going to be a very tall order, even though Paul George played like a man among men, 23 points, I think 16 rebounds. DeAndre Aiken played better. Aiton played better. 19 points, 22 rebounds. And as much as we talk about Chris Paul for this Suns team, DeAndre Ayton is the catalyst of this Suns team. When you're seven feet tall and you can dominate inside, outside, and you have the kind of athletic ability that guy has, this Phoenix Suns team, I'm finally saying it, is absolutely for real. Yeah, so the 2018 draft has been the story of the playoffs so far. When you want to look back in the beginning, it was the Luka Doncic, right? 
48-point triple-double in the first round. They go up uh, 2 nothing against the Clippers. I think this is the new era, and the Atlanta Hawks are, you know, they've made the biggest disaster of their franchise history, or it's just not going to work out for them. It'll go down as one of the worst. And then, of course, we see what Trey Young has done throughout the playoffs, and then Luka ends up losing after taking the 2-0 series lead, and also he gets his coach fired, and he gets his GM fired. So he's already, like, messing with the team all over the place. Not a lot of homogeny going on over there. And then beyond that, right, the first overall pick, that was also connected to Luka Doncic because it wasn't him. And the Suns were criticized for many, many years, or ever since he was drafted, the day he was drafted. And uh, look what he's done now. I mean, I think this is the thing. And when you have bust first overall picks or like, oh, Michael Jordan was taken, you know, later in the draft. He wasn't taken first overall. A lot of... Yeah, <laughs> but you know what I mean. It's like, oh, wow, how do you not pick him first overall? And there is still st- a certain extent to that. Like, Luka would be really good on the Suns, but what the role that DeAndre Ayton has filled for this team is unreal. And this is the thing. Like, I think Markel Fultz was a busted with the first overall pick, right? But he's going to have a decent career, and I think there's been a lot of that where there's just too much expectations. Andrew Wiggins, you could also say, just too high of expectations. But Ayton is going to have a very defined career, and it's not going to be decent. I think it's going to be very good. He's a little bit of a long way to go from what I've seen, a little undisciplined on defense, but he's a young guy, and clearly he has a desire to make it happen, a total team player. And all these guys who were criticized for not being Luka Doncic, finding real ways to impact their teams deep in the playoffs while Luka Doncic is fishing right now in Dallas. I watched uh, DeAndre Ayton play here when UNLV played Arizona, and everyone was talking here about our big guy. Uh, There's no comparison. DeAndre Ayton was the real deal. We saw it in college, Spencer, and now we're seeing him come into his own in the pros. And I'm looking at these final four teams, and it's funny because you always said you needed three superstars in today's modern-day NBA to win an NBA title. And with Phoenix, everyone always said, well, they've got one in Chris Paul. That's it. I'm kind of leading to her. They've got a big three. DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker make for a pretty good two complimentary players to Chris Paul. And that is three superstars in the making on this team. Well, one that's been an established superstar and a bona fide Hall of Famer in Chris Paul. But look what the, the Devin Booker again yesterday, 26 points to lead all scorers, and he just got a busted up face when he got hacked by Eric Beverly. This team is for real. And people got to start thinking Phoenix Suns can win this whole thing. And uh, I would have never said that at the beginning because everyone thought the L.A. Lakers were going to bump them in the first round. Phoenix said no. Yeah, they've had the benefit of a lot of uh, injuries in their favor, and it's not their fault, obviously, and they've taken advantage of those opportunities. You know, Anthony Davis goes down. But another name for the Suns team that uh, we haven't discussed yet, also from the 2018 draft, which will probably go down as one of the best, like, ever, maybe in NBA history, Mikael Bridges, drafted by the 76ers, and then, the you know, the Phoenix Suns traded for that pick. And, wow, what has he been able to do uh, in his first round in the playoffs or his first go at the playoffs? And you can say that about so many guys on the Suns, except for Jay Crowder, who had been in the finals last year, and Chris Paul, who's never made it this far in his career. They've never He's never made it to the conference finals. So, uh, or there maybe he did with Houston, but he has no deep oh, playoff in the... Never made it to the NBA finals. Yeah, so uh, they're all kind of learning on the fly. And, you know, they've really benefited from the short season. All the teams, all the top teams from last year are not in the finals anymore. A lot of veteran guys went down. But that's what the NBA is all about. It's No one really remembers the circumstances about who can be the healthiest because everybody's subjugated to the same circumstances of the season and the postseason. And the Suns are just... They're really exciting to watch, and it's really fun. They're a team that you want to root for. Not like a villainous team. They just seem to enjoy playing for each other, and they play the game right, too. 
I really like it. And it's pretty cool that the representative of the West, whoever it is, will have never won an NBA title, neither the Phoenix Suns nor the LA Clippers. And it looks like it will be the Suns unless a miracle happens. Kawhi Leonard is able to reappear for the remainder of the series. I don't think they have a chance against Phoenix. And on the other side, you got two teams that have each won one championship, the last one in 1971, the Bucks and the Hawks. And no question, we have watched the emergence of Trey Young in this postseason, averaging barely under 30 points a game throughout the postseason. The Atlanta Hawks, the Cinderella story of the NBA this year. And um, I don't think the Atlanta the Hawks will be cutting down the nets when it's all said and done. But I'll tell you what, Spencer, it wouldn't be a shocker if they did because Trey Young has proven as a little man he could put a full team on his back and carry them to the promised land. Yeah, I keep joking about this with friends, but it's like they're going to continue to be seven-point dogs in every single matchup in the playoffs until they win the actual championship. It's like how long is it going to take before somebody believes in them? And they took game one. They have such a uh, they have a super positive record on the road in the playoffs for a young team, and I think that's the very – one of the biggest stark differences between Trey Young and Luka Doncic. And Trey Young maybe had just learned it this year. He had a few struggles in his early years where he's kind of stat padding, but he makes his teammates better. I never really get the sense out of that from Luka Doncic. He seems kind of cold from his teammates. But uh, Trey Young has taken on the culture of the Atlanta Hawks and spread it throughout the team. And they play around him and they play for him. And also, even through all the stories with Lloyd Pierce, right, he stu- he stayed true to the team and he wanted them to be successful. He didn't make any demands. He didn't get Lloyd fired. He actually complimented Lloyd when he left. So those are the intangibles, I think, of a superstar that you won't see everywhere, like even from someone like a Kawhi Leonard, who is very silent. He's a vocal guy in the city, loves him. And th- this is quite the run. And what he's doing, we got to start talking about him much more seriously in terms of the top players in the league, in my opinion, for what he's doing this year. I agree, and I'll really quickly say that don't look at game two as being indicative of the way this series will be. That was a perfect storm, and I saw Milwaukee blowing them out in game two. Atlanta did what they set out to do, and that was steal a game in Milwaukee. They did. That series is going to go seven games. I think Milwaukee will win it, but do not count out the Atlanta Hawks. Real quickly as we're out of time, again, the Las Vegas Aces, second place. They're 10-4 on the season. There are two games behind, actually I think a game a game and a half behind the Seattle Storm and they play them today, which should be really exciting at the Michelob Ultra Arena at the Mandalay Bay Event Center. Definitely get out there and check out the Aces. It's a lot of fun. I'll be out there today. Big game for them as they can crawl within a half a point of uh, or half a game, I should say, of first place in the Western Conference. And the Las Vegas Aviators, man, get out to the Las Vegas ballpark and check these guys out. A lot of fun to watch. Lost their last couple games. They're on the road in Salt Lake right now. They'll be back on Thursday for six games against Sacramento, including the 4th of July, 405 start that day at a big fireworks show. Check them out. And the parent club, Oakland A's, kind of sliding a little bit two games back now in the American League West, but still rumors that they may be in Vegas in the near future. We'll talk more about that in the future. We're out of time. I want to thank our guest, Mike McKenna, TV analyst for the Las Vegas Golden Knights and for the Henderson Silver Knights, former goaltender. Love when he joins the show. He's a great analyst for them. Of course, I want to thank our social media director, serving as my co-host, Spencer the Wiz Ostrowski, and back in the Fox Sports Residential Bank Studios, Damon, Dino Damon Cotton, for manning the wheels of steel and always doing a great job back there for us. I want to thank our sponsor, Residential Bank Corp. I'm Brian Feldman. This is Out of Line. We are here every Sunday morning. 8 to 9 on Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. Flagship of the Vegas Golden Knights will be returning to play well in the fall. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.